As we come back together this morning, uh, well, we, have, we are together uh, in the way that we can be. It is, uh, again, such an encouragement to be able to share the, the, the peace of the Lord, uh, to be reminded that uh, the spirit of peace dwells in and with us uh, as we come to reflect on God's word. Uh, we've been going through a, a short sermon series on those components that make up joy, that help uh, foster that deep sense of joy, which is uh, not simply an emotion, although it's not emotionless, but it has a deeper, richer resonance and power that transcends just the momentary feelings, which are often uh, more fleeting. And this promise of a joy which can carry us through both uh, times of, of joy and uh, delight and happiness and give those context as well as what can give us a sense of stability in the midst of greater difficulties, in the midst of the, the pain and the darkness uh, that comes. And so we've looked at how various elements last week, uh, particularly the joy of forgiveness and how both appreciating the forgiveness we have in Christ and reveling in that, combined with the power to be instruments of forgiveness, uh, can help us foster a deep sense of joy in and through our lives. thought this morning that I would uh, take two quotes. Uh, sorry, my, my desk is not quite as organized preaching this morning from my grandfather's desk, which is a great privilege here at the farm in Wyoming. Uh, but it was not really laid out for preaching. It was laid out more for uh, doing farm business and trading cattle, but uh, which required apparently less paper and books than preaching a sermon. But I have two quotes about joy that I want to read to you real quick. Uh, first uh, comes from uh, the famed pastor and scholar, John Piper, he says this uh, as a definition of joy. Uh, joy for a Christian is a good feeling in the soul produced by the Holy Spirit as he causes us the to reflect on the beauty of Christ in the Word and in the world. And I think that that has great elements to it, particularly when we think about the work of the Holy Spirit causing us to reflect on the goodness of Christ both in the Word the Word of God and in the world as a way of fostering joy seems to me to be fundamental. Second quote comes from uh, Rick Warren, trying to read broadly this morning. Uh, joy is settled assurance that God is in control of all the details of my life. And I would add at that moment the details of all of life and creation, not just mine, thankfully mine, but also of the whole world. The quiet confidence that ultimately everything is going to be all right. And that the determined choice is to praise God in every situation. This helps to foster, encourage that deeper sense of joy, reflecting by the Holy Spirit on the word and the world, and that quiet assurance that recognizes the reign and rule of Christ in and through this world, not just in my own heart and life and family, but in all of creation. But this morning, 
I want us to reflect on how those ideas of joy are encouraged and strengthened by hope. Hope will be the last component we'll speak of before next week, starting into a series on Romans, which of course has all the joy and hope we could possibly want and more. But this morning, the question is, how does hope factor into joy? And I want to first put the text in front of us before we answer that question. This morning, from Hebrews chapter 12, verses 1 and 2, hear now God's word. Therefore, since we are surrounded by such a great cloud of witnesses, let us lay aside every weight and sin that clings so closely And let us run with endurance the race that is set before us, looking to Jesus, the founder and perfecter of our faith, who for the joy that was set before him endured the cross, despising the shame, and is seated at the right hand of the throne of God. The grass withers and the flowers fade, but the word of our God stands forever. Please pray with me. Heavenly Father, We come before you on this morning to thank you again for dwelling amongst us by your Spirit. We thank you again for the sure knowledge that the Son sits at the right hand of the Father, enthroned in glory and might, interceding for creation in the midst of its recreation. We pray this morning that we would see the hope of new creation, founded and secured by our risen Savior. We pray that as the first fruits of new creation, we might hope in you, and that as we reflect on your word, that we would be strengthened and encouraged by it. And whatever is said this morning that is not true or useful for the building up of your people, may those words quickly be forgotten. Amen. So how does hope factor into joy? I would suggest that what we hope in and what we hope for impacts where and what we find our joy in. Let me say that again. What we hope in, that is where our hope is founded, and what we hope for impacts where and what we find our greatest joy in. And of course, this side of glory, we shouldn't instantly assume that we regularly hope in the right thing. I regularly hope in my finances to carry me through, as the proverb says, the wealthy see their wealth as a walled city, as a protection against the difficulties and calamities of life. How often I find my hope in my financial security or in my ability to make a living because I have some skills and talents and I have some health left and I hope that I can secure for myself those things which I need. Is my hope in my strength, in my intelligence, in my finances. And what I hope for, is my eyesight too short? Do I hope merely for the peace of today? or perhaps the retirement in good stead tomorrow? Do I hope for things that are eternal, 
Or how often is my hope blunted by the needs of the moment and the short term and the temporal? We, of course, are called, according to this text, to hope in the vision that we see at the end of verse 2. Jesus enthroned. And that's where the impact of where and what we find our greatest joy in comes into clear relief. You see, if where I put my hope is not in myself or my abilities, but in that scene in the throne room of grace, of Christ seated at the right hand, of where power and authority really comes from, where eternity springs, where my security and my hope is manifested for eternity, when I put my hope there rather than here, that's going to impact my joy. And what I find my hope in, do I find that what to be the good events of my day or a loved one's day? Or is it in the transcendent truths of the resurrection and enthronement of Christ on high? Because where I put my hope, if it is in the end too short term, I'm going to find that my joy is fleeting because my circumstances regularly change. Sometimes for the good, sometimes for the more challenging. I want to suggest that for the writer of Hebrews, his hope comes and he encourages us as believers, our hope to come from this, that Jesus, the founder and perfecter of our faith, is seated at the right hand of the throne of God. That is the hope that brings the writer of Hebrews the power and ability to encourage in this section of the book believers to endure suffering, to endure pain, to endure rejection from the culture and society. He's just finished this amazing list of faithful brothers and sisters. Everybody from Rahab to King David, from the prophets to Moses, all who by faith looked forward to the work of Christ, and now we have seen the answer to their great hope, and now our hope is not in what could happen, what we hope would happen, but in something that has happened and is beginning to have its impact in and through the world. Not as linearly as we would like, not as instantaneously as we would desire, but nonetheless, a hope made sure, not just by the work of Christ, but his ongoing work through his people. But hope is not, well, instantaneous or easily maintained. I'm reading through uh, a biography of St. Paul. And he describes, uh, the writer N.T. Wright, what hope looked like for early Christians and Jews in the first century. 
And it gives us a sense of what the author of Hebrews is really calling us to. Not an easy hope, not the occasional reflection upon this nice idea of Jesus in a wonderful, shiny, bright place with, uh, at some point, some power to make all of this nastiness go away. This is what he says about hope. Hope and optimism are not the same thing. The optimist looks at the world and feels good about the way things are going. Things are looking up. Everything's going to be all right. But hope, at least as it was conceived within Jewish and then the early Christian world, was quite different. Hope could be, and often was, a dogged and deliberate choice when the world seemed dark. It depended not on a feeling about the way things were or the way things were moving, but on faith. Faith in the one God. This God had made the world. This God had called Israel to be his people. The scriptures, not least the Psalms, had made it clear that this God could be trusted in, to sort things out in the end. To be true to his promises. To vindicate his people at last. Even if it had to be on the other side of terrible suffering. Hope, in this sense is not a feeling, it is a virtue. You have to practice it. Like a difficult piece on the violin or a tricky shot at tennis, you practice the virtue of hope through worship and prayer, through invoking the one God, through reading and reimagining the scriptural story, through the consciously holding of the unknown future within the divine promises made through Christ. My challenge has been historically that I thought hope was something that would come to me or that I could occasionally, if things looked good, engage in, that I would feel hopeful. I have been guilty so often of wanting to feel hopeful. Guilty not in the sense that it's a high sin, but in the sense that it is not putting in the spirit-filled work of meditating on the throne room of grace and its power and its presence and its impact, not just in my heart, but eventually in all of creation. To think of hope like joy as something we turn our hearts to. And when we find we cannot to rely as the psalmist and as Paul did on the work of the Holy Spirit to bring that sense of hope in and through us. As we meditate on his promises, as we reflect on his goodness, and as we are reminded of what doesn't change. Hebrews says that for the joy set before him, he endured the cross and its shame. The joy was the sure knowledge that the kingdom was coming through him into us and throughout creation. The joy was everything from the personal relationship that he has with you, knowing you intimately, 
not just the way he puts you together in your mother's womb, but to know your hearts and your thoughts and your minds and your soul. The joy of Christ was to know each one of us intimately and individually. But it is also the joy of a kingdom setting things right where not just personal piety and delight, but also the undoing of injustice, the undoing of death, the undoing of abuses of power, the undoing of poverty and shame, the undoing of illness that robs us of our youth, undoing all of the impact of all. Seeing his story is sharing with you the pictures of the farm out towards our uh, bit of paradise. That is but a foretaste of the full restoration of creation in its physical and spiritual fullness. The joy that comes from seeing creation restored, society restored, human relationships restored. It started with our life God being restored. Our hope then is to look on a throne room that is no longer threatening for us because we have peace with God. It is now a throne room of grace for us. And because he is seated at the right, our hope is that the justice and mercy and love and grace found in Lord. that throne room now possible will be brought to its fullness in all of creation. It is dogged that we have to sometimes like we just went through. It has to be a hope based more and more on the Sure knowledge of our God reigning. Not our ability to see peace and justice, but in fact, in the midst of pain and suffering, by faith, know that God will to. It is getting better. The world is too complicated for it to be a linear success. It is a complicated process. It is one that gives us and one that causes us ever greater to rely on the wisdom and power of God and not our own set right. Our best efforts in momentary acts of care and kindness, though proof of the kingdom, cannot bring it. But we can put in the king. And that does bring the opportunity to act out of hope. Not that we will fix it, but that we're acting in line with what will be. You see, what the kingdom does when we understand joy and hope is that we then act as hopeful people. Not because the situations around us are hopeful, but because we are people of hope. We know it's secure, and therefore we can act, hopefully, we can act out of love and mercy and generosity in times where it seems that that is the most foolish 
thing to do. When it seems like if we give too much, we will be taken advantage of. If the situation is dangerous, we will be opening ourselves to danger. But when we act with hope, put ourselves in contrary positions, act contrary to the wisdom of the world, act with a hope that brings peace, not asks for it, that brings generosity, not simply wishes for it. We have these moments in each one of our lives, in our marriages, where we hope for the best in our spouses, in our children, in our friendships, and in our societies. My encouragement to you this week is in ever greater degrees, reflect upon the Jesus who is the founder and perfecter of our faith. Ah, what a blessing to not have to perfect your own faith. But he is the perfecter of our faith, and he is seated at the right hand of the throne of God. May that make us people who are hopeful. And may we then share that hope, act hopefully with one another. Amen. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, again, we ask that we would be hopeful. The Spirit dwells within us, and we are a fire, a light with you. Lord, we ask that we would be light in dark places. Give us the peace and assurance not to worry when darkness seems to raise its head with greater power. Lord, may we not be distracted by the waves. But may we see you and walk in faith and follow you. Run the race, as the Hebrews tells us, with our eyes fixed on you. May that bring light to the world, even as it bring light, brings light to our own hearts. In Christ's name, amen.